0: I'm Jessica Harris, this is From Scratch. My guest is the choreographer Mark Morris. He started the Mark Morris Dance Group in 1980, and its home, the Mark Morris Dance Center, is located in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, in New York City. Mark has choreographed over 130 works for the company since inception, and has created productions for opera, ballet, and television. Mark was named a MacArthur Fellow in 1991. Welcome.
1: Thank you, I'm so happy to be here.
0: It's hard to see process when you're seeing a dance performance. It's not like a painting where you've seen drawing underneath or you've seen layers of other ideas Mm -hmm. that the painter has flirted with or or experimented with. So can you talk to me about your process?
1: Well, first of all, there's there's an obsession with process that I don't share with other people in that I don't need to know how the magic trick is done. I want I want the surprise. Part of that is that I don't I don't show pieces until they're finished. You know, I'm very, very strict about letting people not watch. I am notorious, I don't know why, for covering the windows. If I'm in a studio working on a ballet in another company, I don't let people watch. And you know, lots of times people on the board or people who give a lot of money to a company are used to having that access. And to me that that makes it a performance. Sometimes I won't actually put the finishing uh button on something until right before it performs. You know, everyone thinks it's done, and I, I I don't I don't like that I don't like to watch works in progress. I think you should finish it and then I'll buy a ticket. Hmm. I don't want to know all of the awful secrets that happen backstage so anyway, but my the the answer to what my process is I almost exclusively start with a piece of music that I love or at least. Admire, and can bear to listen to many, 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 many hundreds of times. I work with music that I can travel with because I work exclusively with living musicians. I do. I do not use recorded music. Um, you can, but don't. <laughs> so I find a piece of music. I study it. You know, I study it on the airplane, reading the music, or thinking, or procrastinating, or getting these earworms that make me nuts and it's very rarely music that was written specifically to be danced to. I don't do a lot of that because most of a lot of that is not very interesting.
0: Earworms um are is that a real thing by the way, like when you get a song in your head, is that just what you call them or no, is it that's a condition?
1: What, it's it's from a German word, the same, you know, uh Orvorm, and it's when you something's driving you crazy, a tune driving you crazy in your mind. That's an Ohrwurm.
0: And is it a condition or is no, it something No, it's just an
1: irritation. It's not like a mental disability. I don't get, you know, I don't get a parking spot for it or anything like that. <laughs> Every bit of music at some point becomes embedded in a very annoying loop. So oh, your awesome. hand is so interesting.
0: Oh, thank you. But I don't show people my process. No, I can't I'm read just upside down. kidding. Oh, no, you
1: shouldn't ever.
0: This is, this is my work. Um, anyway.
1: This is my work. This is what mine looks like. And it's always on legal pad, always with the same pencil, because I'm crazy that way. But anyway.
0: Thank you for showing me your process. Sure. But on the subject of, of coming up with the music yeah. first.
1: Um, I like to surprise myself. I do big orchestra stuff. I do a lot of vocal music. I do modernist music. My favorite centuries are uh, 18 and 20
0: So from there, uh, do you then create the actual dance in your mind? Do you map it out on paper before you present it to your dancers? Or is it more like, you know what, as I'm knitting, I'm going to pick up the, you know, the next stitch? Or how, how does that fluidity, how does that happen?
1: I make up everything in the room with my dancers there. I don't work in the studio alone ever. I study the score and I have some ideas, something like, you know, uh, everything has to go from one side of the stage to the other, or this is only for women, or there are no diagonals, or, you know, I have many different rules that I set up in advance to trigger my, I, uh, some kind of an idea spout.
0: Do your dancers help you come up with ideas?
1: The, the th- There's a, a strange assumption that many people make, I'm not accusing you of it, but you could, uh, that... You know, I get a question very often in Q, Q&A periods after a performance where I'm given this choice. Are you a complete, you know, fascist tyrant dictator or do the dancers improvise? You know, it's like, well, neither. I mean, it's it's more that I'm a fascist dictator, but the dancers dance. That's They contribute by dancing, not necessarily by by improvising. Everybody I work with and anyone I collaborate with Uh, Set design, lighting design, costumes, um, music in a a different way. I give those people, the designers who aren't composers, the music that I'm thinking of working on. And then that person listens to the music and comes up with something. Whether it relates to what I had in my head or not doesn't really matter.
0: So you are hands off in that regard, more so than I might have assumed.
1: Well, the final say is mine on all of these things, but I'm not... I'm certainly not a lighting designer. So you have great power if you're a lighting designer with me because I don't know of anything. You know, I either give things up completely or try to. And, you know, the last say is mine. But I welcome other people's ideas, I think.
0: I'm Jessica Harris, you're listening to From Scratch. My guest is the choreographer Mark Morris, founder of the Mark Morris Dance Group located in Brooklyn in New York City. He has created more than 130 works extending from ballet to opera. He has directed or choreographed productions for the Metropolitan Opera, the New York City Opera, the Royal Opera, the San Francisco Ballet, among others. Mark has collaborated with leading artists ranging from the cellist Yo-Yo Ma, the pianist Emmanuel Axe, the dancer Baryshnikov, and the designer Isaac Mizrahi. Uh, on the subject of, of preservation, music preservation, mm-hmm. dance is cha- a challenging one, right? How is dance preserved? I don't really
1: know. It isn't. That's one thing that's fabulous. It's like you'll never have that same meal again. You know, it's like, I went to all this work, I worked all day long to make what I'm serving you for dinner, and you ate it in a second. Hooray. I love that. And that's how I feel about my work. That's why I don't want people to watch me do it, because that's a different kind of show. That's reality TV or something. Before some politician mentioned the Etch-A-Sketch, I used to use that as the perfect system of dance notation you write it down on this and then you shake it and it's gone, you know, like love letters in the sand, you know, that kind of thing. And also I was, the other day, in fact, I said something, I was talking about a choreography of the great uh, Frederick Ashton. Uh, I saw a piece recently and I said to some of my dancers, like, what's, you know, have you ever seen this piece? And several said, of course, well, I watched it on YouTube. It's like, okay, you're right. And you've never seen the piece. So Mm -hmm. of course I've seen it and can watch it on YouTube to remind myself of something. It you was know, an Ed memoir, but really, I'm so devoted to the live aspect of theater that the uh, that all the participants, the dancers and the musicians, and the audience are all living things. If that means I'm a dinosaur, it's true. I don't mind that. So,
0: uh, let's say somebody wants to to perform a piece that you that you created mm-hmm. from 1992. Can they?
1: Yes. Um, you know, I have notes and, of course, recordings, video recordings that aren't broadcast quality that I use as... I don't I don't even look at them usually. There's, you know, I always have an assistant. You know, the dance is a wonderful, uh, still-living version of the oral tradition. Dancers teach other dancers, mm-hmm. and teachers teach other dancers, and everybody's memory is wrong. And that's true watching a tape. You're missing, of course, the time in between frames if it's a film and a bunch of other dimensions, mm-hmm. you know, and 3D, all the 3D glasses in the world aren't going to help that. Mm. I already live in 3D. So there are notes in a the score, there are videotapes, there are whatever notes that people keep. But the the methods, Laba notation, Banish notation, don't really work. Mm. And uh, there are some brilliant people at the, uh, uh, who work for the Laba notation bureau who are proving me wrong at this moment. But And I want it to be true, I want to be wrong, but it's a difficult, very difficult thing to do.
0: What's Laba?
1: Laban notation is a form of of writing, of notation, graphic notation that gives every single possible detail of an action, including the dynamics and the timing. And it's incredibly arduous to write it out. And very few people can read it. Laban
0: yeah. notation is dance language. Yes. I want to talk about your collaborations because it seems like you take the best of the best when you are collaborating. Uh, for instance, uh, you've collaborated with Yo-Yo Ma a number of times. You worked on an Emmy Award winning TV film called Falling Down Stairs as one such project. Where did this collaboration or this penchant towards collaboration come from? You know, why go to Yo-Yo Ma versus somebody who's not as well known or...
1: Well... He's very good. There's that, which is one reason he's really well-known. In fact, uh, Mr. Ma is who approached me, first of all. Would I be interested in choreographing one of the unaccompanied cello suites of Bach? And mm-hmm. I basically said no, because everybody and his brother has choreographed that music. Or it's fragments of it on a bad recording, probably one of his recordings, but over bad speakers. You know, it's like bad speakers. So it's like, uh. And so that's, that's what was interesting to me. It's like, well, no, but sure. Mm. And so we worked together over a, quite a long stretch of time to make up that dance, which was the first thing that we did uh, as a collaboration. Um, so one thing is that people are attracted to me. Musicians like my work. And I'm happy about that because the world of music is a much, much bigger one than the little tiny world of dance, which I love, but you see everybody you know pretty soon. you know, It's like a small town. Um, so Emmanuel Axe came to me. He saw a show at Jacob's Pillow at the urging of Mr. Ma, with whom he's, he's played for many, many years, and said something like, I never heard this piece the way I just saw it, kind of something like that. And could we work together? We ended up doing these big Mozart project together. And I have to tell you, this is... Uh the a, a sad but fabulous truth is that people who are really good are easier to work with hmm. because they're really good and they're confident and they're less looking for some mistake. you know,
0: and to what extent are these choices uh, strategic that of course, if you're going to work with Burshnioff or Isaac Mizrahi, they're going to be more high profile and you're going they're more marketable.
1: Well, sure. You know, you you don't even get to the end of Mr. Barishnikov's name and it's sold out. So, you know, Isaac Mizrahi is my best friend and we were friends before we ever worked together. So, in fact, I was a little worried the first time, you know, it's like, I would love you to design costumes, but what if that means we're not going to be friends anymore because we end up hating working together or something? Yeah. And that didn't happen. So, you know, it's like it's like that. Yo-Yo and I are friends. The great, great English painter, uh, Howard Hodgkin, is a very close friend of mine and has done some beautiful work. Well, he always does beautiful work, but he's done some that I've used in my productions. So Mm. it's great. And, you know, if, if you last long enough, which I guess I have because I know so many people, and... I like them. (laughs) You know, Peter Sellers is a very good friend of mine, and we've worked together many times in the past.
0: The Metropolitan Opera in New York City. Mm
1: Mm-hmm, that's one, yeah.
0: I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is the choreographer Mark Morris. We'll hear more from Mark coming up. I'm Jessica Harris here listening to From Scratch. My guest is Mark Morris, founder of the Mark Morris Dance Group located in Brooklyn, in New York City. The company's on the road more than 20 weeks a year, producing 75% of the company's revenue. The company charges over $25,000 per performance. Mark is also a conductor for the Mark Morris Dance Group since 2006. I love that, there's like a 360 degree Approach to your work whether it's not just choreographing operas but directing them Mm -hmm. or not just choreographing the dances but conducting
1: right it's scary but you know it's part of me staying interested it's like I'm not it's not world domination it's just it's a big world already and I like a lot of parts of it that relate to my work
0: I want to talk about your early life what turned you on to dance initially
1: hmm (laughs) <laughs> my probably my sister my older sister was taking dancing lessons that's maybe where I first caught a glimpse of something because very young and the adorable story about me being like 5 or 6 and jamming my feet into Tupperware orange juice glasses and using them as point shoes can you imagine anyway by the um. way
0: this was in your biography <laughs> written by Joan Acachella called Mark Morris
1: that's right Well, I'm citing Joan writing about my history. That's great. Um, Then I saw, the thing I most remember was that uh, I saw a Spanish dance company, the Jose Greco company, on tour in Seattle. And I asked if I could please learn that kind of dancing. And my mother said, of course. How old were you? I was eight or nine. And uh, she found a wonderful woman who taught Spanish dance. In Seattle and I studied with her for many years but my my house was uh, not full of professional dancers or musicians but you know my father played the keyboards and sang and you know we always sang there was music all the time and that was a big part of it
0: was your mother at all resistant to her son's wanting to pick up a dance no what was or what is she like
1: well she she died a few years ago and she was the greatest possible she was fabulous uh, my father died when I was uh, a teenager and so you know my, a lot of time was just with her and my two sisters who who still live in the Seattle area i I could do whatever I wanted my parents wanted me to be happy and uh dedicated and curious and interested and smart and I'm those things
0: <laughs> what's what are some examples of you doing what you wanted
1: well i it was shocking to me but I was uh you know as a teenager i spent weekends away with friends who were older than I was and who were drinking and having sex, et cetera, who were folk dancers. I was very much involved in a folk dance community in Seattle. My most wonderful days were doing line dances and circle dances with live music and singing and drinking and participating with people. Everyone says that my work reminds them of certain folk dance traditions, which is fine with me because I'm not necessarily doing direct quotes. I'm doing the feeling and the spirit and the actual participation that people have when they're dancing together. So you look at somebody actually in the eyes instead of in that direction, and you actually hold hands, and you actually are really participating with other people, not just dancing for the viewer.
0: To what extent was your interest in dance tied to your sexuality, Um, if, if at all?
1: When I was, I think I was about 17 when I spent my Last year of high school, I graduated early. I hated school. I left, and I was dancing full time. Anyway, I went for about almost a year, the trip abroad when I was a teenager. I was seventeen, and I traveled around. and I wrote a letter from Spain, I was admitting that I was queer, and of course, my mother had known that all along. And you know, it's like, oh, we, I just want you to be happy, and etc. Like that might make it harder, because of course, this is ancient history now. But when it was against the law in Spain, certainly to be queer. And I was, you know, in uh, in the early days of my company, I was always described as the self-described gay choreographer. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because somebody had to. Everybody was pretending not to be. And, you know, now that's risable because everyone is so free. And I would use finger quotes, but we're on the radio, so you can imagine that I'm saying it with slight sarcasm, that, you know, there's no problem anymore. It's like that's because, partly because of my contributing to the, fight for for queer rights that my young gay dancers think just happened automatically
0: your father was a high school teacher and a amateur musician right your mother what did she do
1: she did a lot of secretarial stuff she um and uh she worked for the city of seattle for years and years yeah and then you know she was a single mother for a, a, a long stretch of that That's why I started cooking, because she wasn't very good at it, and I loved it.
0: Mm. (laughs) What's the last thing you've cooked for dinner?
1: Oh, I had a big cooking festival this weekend. I made a gigantic 19th century recipe for onion soup, which it takes all day long. It's huge amounts of onion. Delicious. And I made a bolognese just for the week, because I like to take my own food.
0: And you leave your house sometimes uh, with the stove on. As do I, but I do so accidentally, and you do so consciously.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, has to simmer. <laughs>
0: you also, uh, you never eat standing up, and, and each <laughs> each meal you set the table, even if it's just for yourself, and, yeah. and it's a performance for, for you of, of one. You're the audience and the performer, and it's Well, virtual. I'm not
1: watching myself eat. That's horrifying. <gasps> um, no, I, I like to... I like to pay attention to that sort of thing. And most people, you know, you say, how was, the, how was the ballet? It was pretty or they could do really hard things. Like, well, that isn't enough. Think a little more and tell me and who conducted and what color was, were her eyes, you know, that kind of thing. Notice and, and you have to practice that or it goes away.
0: And you are quite resourceful, it seems, in your cooking. <laughs> you'll come home from a tour and you'll find you know leftover chicken that's been sitting there for weeks. and and you'll <laughs> you'll make a meal. what What are your thoughts on just just your resourcefulness?
1: I have sort of a gentleman's training idea where I think uh, young men today, particularly young men, need to be able to change a tire and make an omelet and speak a little French and you know have some versatility be able to finish a sentence maybe you know and people get so shut off and especially if you're very protected by growing up in a dance environment and you're still a you know a shrinking violet because it's still naughty to be gay for some of these people so those things all tied together I'm resourceful in that I can I can come up with something from the empty the empty uh pantry i can come up with a wonderful dinner for whoever shows up and, and i kind of do that in my work and i kind of do that on the road i've been traveling for so many years that i'm sort of unflappable
0: just on this on the subject of of resourcefulness you said that it comes up in your dance but what's a, a real example of of that
1: well one thing is just a pragmatic daily irritation because we tour a lot we get in maybe the night before we spend all day of course, hanging lights and you know getting the floor ready and having music rehearsals and sound check, and spacing the 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 verb to space in the in the meaning that dancers use is to adjust what you're doing to where you actually are. So my studio in Brooklyn in Fort Greene, which is great, and I have a giant studio where I can tape out with tape on the floor the size of the theater we're going to go to. It's always different. You know, a diagonal changes its degrees depending on the size of the rectangle, uh, you know, in in a theater. And you still have to get there by that point in the music and meet somebody else and have it work smoothly. Also, most theaters are too cold. Mm -hmm. A lot of floors are too hard. It's a hard, you know, it's like, oh, poor us. We get to do what we love. But it's also, it's a real vocation. It's a really, it's hard. And dancers have to worry about themselves staying healthy and active and keep track of a lot of information because they have to memorize everything. But then all of that is open. Mm. All of those ends are untied and we have to make that work everywhere we go. That's Mm. a a pragmatic example of the chaos that we have to solve all the time.
0: You mentioned that you always knew you wanted to be a dancer, but you don't have the the traditional body of a dancer. Did that ever... Well, I'm
1: 56. I'm fat now.
0: What did you look like? Gorgeous.
1: I, dan- I was a great, great dancer. I wasn't just a good dancer, I was a, f- a great dancer. But people say that about my company, they don't look like dancers. It's like, well, they're dancing, aren't they? Part of the reason that people dance to better music and live music a lot more is because of me. Part, part of the reason that uh, a lot of choreographers and dancers are out as queer is because of me. And part of the reason that people look like people is because of me. I'm not, it's not single-handed, it was part of a movement of the times. You know, uh, Bill T. Jones has always used dancers who don't look like dancers. It's like, well, mm-hmm. what, are the, what are we supposed to look like?
0: You have non-traditional elements in your dance, too, one of which is humor. Dancers have laughed out loud in a ballet that you've choreographed, for mm-hmm. example. Where did that come from?
1: I'm funny. I'm not interested in work that has no uh, emotional content. I don't want a neutral night out who wants that you know nobody nobody wrote music specifically to bore you to death although it's it's been tempting to think that because of how mm-hmm. things are performed mm-hmm. so i like uh you don't have to do any homework to see my work you just have to be brave enough to go and watch and listen and i hope you love it and can't resist coming back but you might not in which case don't mm. you know if you don't like it leave you know people say like well what do you want the audience to get it's like I don't know. You know, home safely. I don't know. What do you what do you want, you know, or Balanchine famously <laughs> answered, you know, what is this dance about? And he said it's about twenty minutes. Listen and watch. That's already difficult. You know, see what happens. You won't you know, it won't be horrible and I hope it's delightful and like nothing you've experienced before. That's what I want. <laughs>
0: (laughs) I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is the choreographer Mark Morris, founder of the Mark Morris Dance Group located in Brooklyn in New York City. You did (laughs) have some traditional training as you were on the West Coast, whether Mm -hmm. it was with Verla Flowers or Perry Brunson. Right. When did you decide you wanted to make a career of dance and not necessarily choreography, but be a dancer?
1: I knew immediately that I wanted to be a dancer. When I was seventeen is when I left to go abroad to travel around. My initial idiotic idea was to visit the tiniest countries only. But I went to I went to um Skopje, Macedonia, which was then of course part of Yugoslavia, and stayed for a number of weeks with a choreographer I'd met in Seattle who was a you know, who taught macedonian dances and choreography and that was incredible and then i ended up for several months in spain deciding if i wanted to be a professional flamenco
0: so so why then uh, the switch to choreography
1: i was choreographing on the side at rehearsals for everybody i was working with which is terribly irritating Mm. now if somebody did that now i would just assassinate them uh, in my company. I still call it making up dances, which people think is faux naïve. but I've always thought of it as making up dances. The first dance I I made up that I still think is probably pretty good, we could do it today and it would look good. I was probably 15 or 16 when I made it up. And basically that's what you do for the rest of your life is the thing you did first well. I didn't know that I would be super successful. I what? thought I would be good and I am.
0: When did that recognition happen on a larger scale that mm, not only does Mark think he's successful, Mm -hmm. but others think you're good too?
1: Well, I did uh, what was then called Dance Theater Workshop, is now New York Live Arts. I performed there with my company, and then uh, the great Harvey Lichtenstein from BAM, from Brooklyn Academy of Music, uh, invited me to dance there. And so in 1984, the first show at, at Brooklyn Academy of Music was the one where it was like, oh, okay, this is actually something. And, and others,
0: others said, oh, okay, this is actually yeah, something,
1: right? And the Arlene criti- Croce being one of them, a great genius critic, yeah, for the New Yorker magazine.
0: The band performance and the critical acclaim that you received very early on—that mm-hmm. was certainly a pivot point for you, right. To become a more formal organization, uh, and then you went to Belgium and you became the director of the
1: the uh, Théâtre de la Monnaie, the dance my company, which then. For Thank that stay, we were called Monet Dance Group Mark Morris.
0: Basically, you were the the official dance group for Belgium. Yeah. I read somewhere that your experience in Belgium helped to um, put fire under your belly to create uh, your Mark Morris Dance Center, to actually create a place
1: in well, Brooklyn. yeah. It was immeasurably important. It was an incredible, very arduous and productive three and a half years. I was in a big... Spotlight with some very sharp edges to it. And, of course, I had a, a physical plant there to work, and I had studios, and that was great. And that's when I learned that I could do that. And, of course, in Brussels, I had a giant budget and great musicians and theaters and, you know, costume shops. I could do whatever I wanted. And so coming back to New York was like, well why not have live music all the time? Why not have a full-time studio instead of having to rent at great expense someplace that isn't very nice and have to rehearse someplace different all over town? What if dancers were following a vocation and not a hobby? And why not health insurance? And why not humane treatment of people at their jobs.
0: And in a way y- you are pioneering this formalization or institutionalization of the dance industry. There are not many living choreographers who uh, have their own space, have right. their own buildings. Exactly. Was there one or two um, people who were germane in donors in, in making the building happen?
1: Well, the genius who is Nancy Yumanov, who's the executive director of my company, I don't know what how she does what she does, and I hope she doesn't know exactly what I do all the time. Um, we got help from foundations, from the city, from the state, from everywhere. And we built a building with a lot of pro bono help and a lot of begging for money and a lot of very hard work. And we're out of space already. We have seven studios, a school with over a thousand kids. A program for people with Parkinson's disease and my everyone loves it when my company's on tour because they can rent the great studios and rehearse. You know, so every choreographer in town passes through my building, which for me entertainingly is referred to as Mark Morris. Like on the subway, I'll hear somebody, oh God, I have another boring rehearsal at Mark Morris. I'm like, just a minute, you know.
0: <laughs> Are you surprised by what you've become?
1: Well, one thing is it's time my parents are dead a lot of choreographers aren't choreographing anymore there aren't a lot of us around and why shouldn't I have a certain amount of pull and and power and decision making uh, capacity and represent not just dance but people So I'm in the place as of you know in my late 50s can it be the mid 50s no it's late 50s where, it's like, who's supposed to be doing this if not us? Like, why don't we grow up and do what we mean instead mean, of complaining about what everybody else did before?
0: You mean we, the dance industry?
1: I mean we adults. I mm-hmm. mean we uh, late baby boom adults stop dressing like three-year-olds and learn how to change attire. That's what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> you had the reputation of being brash and bossy.
1: Yeah, if I were a woman you'd call me a bitch and
0: <laughs> how necessary though is bossiness uh, to achievement
1: oh I don't know I could probably do this another way but I have, just have this horrible personality that makes me uh, uh, it's sort of truth serum you know it's like that. going back to working with somebody like Yo-Yo like Mr. Ma the cellist you know people say what's it like and the thing is because he's so good I can say hey Yo-Yo you know that's a little flat. And he will say, thank you, because who's going to tell him that? You know, so I have very strong opinions, but I don't I don't have them in order for other people to agree with me. You know, I love a fight. I love an argument and I love to talk about stuff.
0: Did you fight and (laughs) argue and in your home?
1: Uh, Not really. (laughs) I'm daunting and I'm I am, of course, I'm bossy and I get my way and I'm, I'm fundamentally, if you dig, if you look hard enough, if you squint, I'm quite kind. And I care profoundly for the people I work with.
0: It's just the rapper is yeah. abusive.
1: It's like, it's, you know, it's, I go to the restaurant and say, the music's too loud. Could you turn it down? Or the other day I was at a restaurant and when the waiter was out of the room, I disconnected the speakers you know, hooray, everybody applauded. So it's like, you know, you you have to shave before rehearsal, but just do it. You know, it's like, I'm going to win anyway. You might as well let me do that.
0: Thank you very much for joining (laughs) us.
1: Of course. My pleasure.
0: My guest has been the choreographer Mark Morris. Coming up, we'll meet Chris Barton, co-founder of Shazam. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch.